And a lot of what's happening when we worship here is God, quite frankly, is cutting people free. Is he's making people whole, not just people in this room, but people who we're praying for and we're believing for. That, that's part of what's happening. And if that's a different expression for you, I want to invite you to just take part whatever that looks like as, as God does that. We're in this series called Emmanuel, and uh, we're going through what it looks like for God to be with us. And uh, today we are talking about that God is God with us in pursuit. But if I know anything about God, he doesn't do something for its own intent. He's not in pursuit just just to be in pursuit. Which one do you want me to use? He's not in pursuit to be in pursuit. That's not the goal. If he's in pursuit, that means he's going he's gonna to find you. Does that make some sense? Like he, he doesn't intend to just be like theoretically merciful. His mercy finds itself in you, in me. He's not theoretically loving with no recipient of that love. He's loving, and part of that definition is that someone receives that love. And so when we're saying in pursuit, part of what I'm thinking of is this collision that happens. So have you, have you all ever been in, in like a massive collision? Usually that's a negative word. I know I've been in a couple car accidents. Those were not fun. The worst collision I ever had was playing football. Now, if you want to hear about a, a, someone who played football well, talk to Jamel. If you want to hear the other stories, talk to me. I played football, too. My stories don't come out because they're horrible. The, the stories of, when I play sports, the only advantage that I have is I move so slow that I confuse the other team. <laughs> this is still true. My face looks like I'm trying, but my body just doesn't. It's very, very confusing. But I can catch. And so my football coach in ninth grade said, okay, you're going to return a kick. I'm like, great. And the game happens, and I catch the ball, and he doesn't realize how slow I am. And so I go, and if you don't know football, I want you to just imagine an entire army running at one person screaming, and all of them are bigger than you, and they want to just destroy you. I forgot that part of football. I caught it. And I thought I had 10 teammates, but none of them must have liked me at this point in my life. Because I don't know that they even blocked the wind. And the other team came running at me. All of them, I'm convinced, hit me at the same time. And my mouth guard was like somewhere at the heel of my foot, you know? Just utterly destroyed me. I went to the sideline, and I said, Coach, I'm not doing that again. And he said, Matt, I know. And I've been in car accidents that didn't hurt as bad as when those 11 people just destroyed me and changed my complete direction. God is in pursuit of you and of me. And when God is in pursuit, there is a collision. And not a collision that leads to destruction, but a collision that leads to wholeness. 
in a collision that completely knocks us off of our path and into a new direction. And this is a part of what Emmanuel is. Emmanuel is God with us. And a couple weeks ago, we talked about that God is imminent, that he is in all creation, that he is coming into us. We talked about Bethlehem and how God enters into our pain and our story, and he redefines and redirects everything, that everything gets restored. Last week, we talked that he's not just imminent, but he's in power, that he rolled into Jerusalem on a donkey and with the power of creation in his hands, that this, this God is with us with all power and all authority going into the center of power at that time with no fear because... Well, he has more power than any of it. And today, it's in pursuit. But remember, this doesn't just mean that he's in pursuit. If he's in pursuit, he finds. And that finding, though he is good, is a collision. A few weeks ago, we read, read this verse in John 1, 9. It says, the true light, which enlightens everyone, was coming into the world. This verse I can't shake. I can't stop thinking about. And, and I've sat reading it and tried to imagine who is the person that's excluded from this true light, and I can't, I can't find that person. Absolutely everyone is included in everyone, right? But then the same author who wrote this writes of a later experience that he has, that John has, with, with Jesus. And I, I want you to look at these words. John 13, this is rarely read in a Christmas series, but we're going to do it anyway. John 13, uh, picking up in verse 20. Jesus says, very truly, I tell you, whoever receives one who I send receives me, and whoever receives me receives him who sent me. He's talking to his 12 disciples. After saying this, Jesus was troubled in spirit and declared, very truly, I tell you, one of you will betray me. The disciples looked at one another, uncertain of whom he was speaking, and one of his disciples, the one whom Jesus loved, was reclining next to him. If you have siblings, you probably read this in a certain way. I've always read this like, hey, that's mean. You have the pen. You get to write what you want. And he's saying, well, somebody's going to deny me. And then John is saying, well, the... One of them, the one that Jesus loved, <coughs> was reclining on him because he had the good seat. And I've, I've so often read this as if he's defined by these other 11, right? That I'm the one who's loved, which is really in us and theming. It's a, it's a I'm on the in, and it's one of those 11 who are on the out. But John, he's... He's not really defined by anybody else. He's not defined by the 11. He's not defined by the situation. He's not defined by the, the radical story that he just heard from his Messiah that someone is going to betray him. Even those circumstances aren't the things that define him. What defines John is that he knew that Jesus was in pursuit of him and he collided with him and has been defined by the love that Jesus has for him. That was everything. It wasn't an exclusive name as if there could only be one, but the very thing that defined John, the, gospel, the writer of the Gospel of John, is that he was the one who Jesus loved. 
That's all he had. Luke's a doctor. Luke's a great guy. John's the one that Jesus loves. That's who I am. That collision was so defining in his life. But back to that first verse, right? John 1, 9 says that everybody is enlightened by the true light. So we're, we're going to have this little theological moment for a second, okay? And, and we're going to use... Uh, we're going to use Balaji. Balaji's right there. Stay right there. You're good. You can put your phone away. That's fine. But Balaji gets to be the example of everybody, okay? So there, there's these theological terms, and one of them is that there's a thing called general revelation. And that's, that's like this. Everyone experiences the light, the general revelation. The general revelation is things like creation. Everyone who walks through the world sees, sees creation and benefits from the light. Anyone can look at it and be like, something must have put this together. Not everybody says that, but everyone has that advantage. Every single person in every single space can look out at creation and be like, no way is this accidental. Every one of us has some level of intellect and conscience where we can look and say, I, I, I feel like somebody had to have created this, and there must be a God. This is called general revelation, okay? Does that make some sense? That's like a lamp. But there's something else. There's something called special revelation. And special revelation is like this. That's special revelation. General revelation is for absolutely, I'm not going to leave it here all day, I promise. General revelation is for absolutely everybody can see in nature and everything. Like, okay, there is a God. But when God chooses to reveal special revelation to you, there's no denying it. He's in pursuit of you. And you can't shake it. Now, we think that the spotlight is probably on on God, right? Like that he's revealing who he is. But I think it's somewhat different. I think it's a spotlight that catches us in that moment to be like, oh, you are the divine that's, that's generally revealed, that all of a sudden chooses to just encounter me and transform me. You are in pursuit of me, and I have this collision with you like darkness and light, and I'm transformed by this moment. I don't know that we realize it, but a huge part of the Christmas story is God revealing himself, not just to us so that we can sit around with cookies and read it now, but this moment of bringing people to encounter Jesus before he was the Jesus we even know him as. I want to look at a couple Christmas encounters in this way, in God doing special revelation to people where they're about to collide with Jesus. We're going to kind of speed through a couple together. Is that okay? All right, if you've got a Bible with you, open to Luke 1. Verse 26 begins like this. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a town in Galilee called Nazareth, to a virgin engaged to be to a man who was named was Joseph of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary, 
And he came to her and said, Greetings, favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was much perplexed by the, his words and pondered what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have been found favor with God, and now you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you will name him Jesus. If there ever was special revelation, if there ever was a spotlight on somebody, that's it. She's engaged, planning a, a wedding, whatever that looks like at the day. And all of a sudden, an angel shows up. God chooses to send an angel to her as special revelation that Jesus is coming and says that you, 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 I love this, greetings, favored one, and she's perplexed. I bet. I bet you're perplexed. An angel just showed up, knew your name, and told you that you're favored. Perplexed is a perfect word. I think half of us would cuss. <laughs> We'd be like, what is this? What did I eat? But God was choosing to reveal himself to her. And it's not just through this angel. He revealed himself to Mary by, by sending a baby into her belly for an entire pregnancy. He's revealing himself to her collides with her, and Mary is not the same. A couple, couple verses later, verse 39. In those days, Mary set out and went with haste to a Judean town in the hill country, where she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the child leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And exclaimed with a loud cry, blessed are you among women and blessed is the fruit of your womb. God uses absolutely everything to reveal himself, including a baby leaping within Elizabeth. Somehow Elizabeth's eyes see Mary, recognize Jesus, and somehow John within Elizabeth recognizes Jesus within Mary and starts to like dance in there in a way that it that it is sent to Elizabeth that, oh, there's something special about that baby. That's a lot of stuff that science can't explain. That's a giant special revelation of God sent. Yes, we benefit from it, but in real time, that is for Elizabeth. In real time, that is for Zachariah. That is for a couple who have always lived on the inside but did not have a child and dreamt of having a child. And God promised this child, muted Zachariah, the baby was about to be born, and then all of a sudden it's not just about John, it's about this Messiah who's finally come. And all of this is this collision that transformed their life. Let's look at Luke 2. In the region there were shepherds living in the fields keeping watch over their flock by night. And the angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for see, I am bringing you good news of great joy for all the people. To you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign for you. You will find a child wrapped in bands of cloth and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was... 
with the angel, a multitude of heavenly hosts, praising God and saying, glory to the God in the highest heaven and on earth peace among those who, whom he favors. And when the angel had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let's go now to Bethlehem and see this thing that has taken place. These are just common folk on a common night doing their common thing. And an angel shows up and tells them, hey, the Messiah is born. You can go find him. And all of a sudden, a chorus of angels start singing. And the sky is lit up with that. And then just every bit is wild to me is then they're just gone. You know what I mean? Like, it is wild that they filled the sky and started singing. But then all of a sudden, they're gone. And they're done singing. I'd be like, is there an encore to this? Like, Every, every semi-good show I've been to, there's an encore. Is there going to be another one here? And then they look at one another. And like, maybe what I read this is, is like, maybe this is for us. And the shepherds, you know what? They, they were like the outsiders, right? They, they probably needed an angel. And they probably needed a chorus of angels. And they probably needed a collision of that magnitude to get them to believe that the Messiah wanted to see them in Bethlehem. And honestly, the Messiah probably had to be a baby for them to imagine that they could be with. In God and his goodness, in his pursuit of these outsiders, the shepherds, met them in the exact way that they needed so that they could collide and have their lives transformed but being some of the first witnesses to the birth of the Messiah. Matthew 2 tells of these, these wise men. When they'd heard the King Herod, they set out, and, and there ahead of them went the star that they had seen at its rising until it stopped over the place where the child was. And when they saw that the star had stopped, they were overwhelmed with this, and on, on entering the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother. My spelling is fascinating here. And they went down and paid him homage. These wise men are, are not Jews. These wise men are, are not Christian. These wise men are from a different religion following astronomy. All of these things. And God sends a star in the sky and they pursue this star for a long period of time. And they go and they go and they go and, and they follow the star. And somehow they know where the star is hovering over, which I don't know how to know that kind of thing. I don't know if it was a different star or that's in their wisdom. They're just wise men. We don't know what degrees they had. But they get to the below the star and they go and they know that that's the Messiah. And it's not just that they're able to follow a star and God uses a star to guide them, but then he gives them a dream. And in the dream, God speaks to them and they collide with God again and they change their physical course to avoid Herod so that they don't have to go say where Jesus was. These people who are completely other, outside of what we know of as God's plan, hear about Jesus and God uses stars and dreams and everything else to bring them to bow before Jesus and pour out their lives to him. 
This Christmas story, among other things, is a story of God in powerful pursuit of us. And it's a story of him using every means at his disposal to lead us to him. And of him colliding with his people. Now again, I keep saying colliding because I think it, this, is, this is something somewhat violent that happens. In my life when I experience God, something somewhat violent, not bad, but something somewhat violent happens, meaning I can't just keep doing life the same. I can't just act like that's just Sunday morning and now I can go do Sunday afternoon. Things are freed that were once trapped. Places we were once chained to are no longer chained. Ways that I once was defined, I'm no longer defined by. There's freedom that follows this collision with the Messiah. That's what it is. It is violent. It is scary in some ways. It's scary in the ways that chained people know how to live chained. Bound people know how to live bound. But bound people don't dream of freedom. And then when freedom's offered, we need to rediscover life and not just run back to our chains and not just run back to the places where we once were bound. If we pulled this room, we'd see that these violent collisions where God is in pursuit of us, they're, they're true here too. And God has used multiple different ways to collide with us. If you've paid attention to our Pastor Jamel's story, he talks often of this moment where he was at a choir when he was in college. He was listening to a concert that reminded him of his childhood, and God used these childhood memories and this concert of kids singing with pure joy and love for Jesus to, to transform him, collide with his life, and lead him into a different direction. If we sit and talk, I'll tell you of how the, God used the my grandfather dying, who was my dearest friend at the time, him dying, and my sister grieving well to transform my life and to collide with me and lead me to two weeks later knowing that I was going to be a pastor at like seventh grade. And then if we talk longer, there's collision after collision after collision that we have where God continues to encounter us and continues to change us. If we pulled this room, there'd be story after story of continual collisions with Emmanuel who is in pursuit, in power, and in eminence so that his kingdom may come right here in you and in me. This God of the Christmas story, he's never changed. As so he grows up and it's Jesus who calls the fishermen to leave his nets and there's something so compelling in that invitation that they leave everything that they know. He's the one who calls Zacchaeus out of the tree. He's, he's the one who promised the Holy Spirit to comfort and live within us. The one who collided with thousands at Pentecost in their own language. Where they just redefined their, their identity of place and they moved to be a part of this new thing. He's the one that collided with the Ethiopian eunuch, leaving, uh, having Philip run 
the speed of a chariot next to a chariot and then teleport when he's finished. He's the one that collided with Saul on the road and changed church history forever. He's the one who invited you and me this morning to come to one church at 4th and Oak, not to hear me, but to experience him, to collide with him, to allow his Holy Spirit to redefine us, transform us from the inside out. Now, in this time of year, we, we want the Christmas spirit, we want good things, but lots of us are down. And a lot of us feel situations, we're reflecting, and we're wondering where God is in this, and we wonder if he's still powerful. We wonder if he knows what's going on. We wonder all of these things. This God who pursues us to the point of colliding with us and changing our trajectory hasn't changed. And so as the worship team comes up and, and leads us in a closing song in a moment, I want to read to you part of a psalm that's, that's very familiar. But in this Christmas season, it's still true. We know it's true other, other times of year. But right now, Emmanuel with us in, in power and in pursuit means this. Oh, Lord, you have searched me and you know me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from far away and you searched out my path and my lying down. You're acquainted with all my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, oh, Lord, you know it completely and you hem me in behind and before. You lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is so high that I cannot attain it. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in shoal, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and settle at the farthest limits of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me. Your right hand shall hold me fast. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me and the light around me become night, even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is as bright as the day, for darkness is as light to you. For it was you who formed my inward parts. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works, that I may know you very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes beheld my unformed substance, and in your book were written all the days that were formed for me, when none of them as yet existed. As I was praying for us this week, I, I had this sense that a lot of us for really, I believe, safety reasons, familiarity reasons, have settled and nearly entered a covenant with God to just settle for a general revelation. Just let me celebrate you 
in creation. Let me nod when I see you as something beautiful. And I want you to know that God is a jealous God in pursuit of you and of me. And he will put that spotlight on you. And I believe that today that's what he's doing. Maybe you need to realize that God who is pursuing you is a good God. And I know how massive that step is. I, I personally know how hard that is to trust that something that powerful and violent can be that for you. Maybe you need to surrender for the first time and allow God to define you. Maybe you need to Maybe you've been holding on to everything together in your own strength. You've been trying to make all this work and you just can't. Maybe you need a collision with the living God to redefine you. Maybe you need courage to believe that you are fearfully and wonderfully made. Whatever that looks like, I truly believe that today and tomorrow and the next day, God's spotlight, his special revelation is on you and me to allow the Holy Spirit to work within us to radically redefine who we are time after time after time until we see his kingdom come and his will done right here like it is in heaven. So some of our, our ministers and pastors are going to come up here and they'd love to pray with you. We're going to sing this song. And if that spotlight is on you, then pray with somebody. Let's see what God wants to do. Let's pray together.